Hello and welcome to the End-Stage Renal Disease Treatment Choices Learning Collaborative, or ETCLC, podcast series. In these episodes, we'll hear from transplant, donation, and organ procurement organization professionals as they share their experiences, data-proven interventions, and lessons learned as we collectively strive toward our national aims for more kidneys transplanted and fewer kidneys discarded. You talked about training the staff and you talked about your staff, the OPO staff, and you talked about training the hospitals. And a lot of people, there were several questions that were from the last event. What does that training look like? So it's easier to say you should train a group of people, but when it's time to train them, you don't quite know what to do. How do you all train your staff? And then how do you train your hospital staff to be prepared for those stressful situations? We'll start with you, and then I'll, I'll go on to the others. I know Stephen has something profound to say, so I'll be brief. I think for <laughs> us, it was understanding what – so I want to back up and just start with this. Um, I am because we are. You know, we are all in this together, and uh, there's a lot of information shared that goes on around the country. And we had some really strong support from some other organizations who do a really good job of family readiness and Midwest uh, transplant. And so we partnered with some other organizations to see what they were doing to help, you know, number one, train their teams uh, and develop, you know, what are the triggers for family readiness? And then we also took it a step bigger. Uh, during this time frame, when we assessed this need, we also were updating our external education to our hospitals. And so uh, we said this is a great opportunity for us to align both. Uh, so they are understanding the same things that our teams are being taught and trained to. And so what we understand, what we found out is that there was, uh, we have OPO speak and then there's hospital language. Um, we had to figure out what's common to both um, uh, the OPO and our hospital partners and then start using that language. So internally, we had to develop what are the triggers for a potential family conversation. And, and that took some time to make it unique to our three organizations and standardizing it. And we also had to, we, we're in a great time and we are updating all of our external education. And so we begin in, including all of that education uh, in August of 2023, going out to all our hospitals. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Stephen, I think you wanted to talk a little bit about the training that you all provide. Yeah, well, I, you know, you know, the initial question, I found it very interesting because when you think about it, you know, only one to two people out of 100 die in a way in which they can be uh, a donor. And so there aren't many families who have previous experience with organ donation. Uh, as far as having a loved one that was on a ventilator and that and and ultimately they were approached for donation. I think, you know, it's twofold. You know, if a family is opposing first person uh, affidavit registry status, it's important to figure out exactly what is the nature of that opposition. Right. Uh, and also it's important when training and when working with hospital partners uh, that they are aware that not every interaction is going to be smooth. Life just does not work that way. Uh, so it's 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 very important that they are aware of that. Understanding the nature of the opposition. I know we're going to talk uh, a little later uh, about uh, body integrity and some families who decline donation due to that. But sometimes it is, and a lot of the times it's timing. And so Michael touched on it. You know, it's 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 key to get timely referrals. But as we've seen, and I'm sure all our hospital colleagues on uh, this call now uh, can attest to the fact that things are different since the pandemic. Um, you know, gone are the days of loved ones allowing their um, 
uh, their love uh, next of kin allowing their loved one to be on a ventilator for days at a time. I mean, we have instances in which a patient comes in and the family is electing to withdraw support that very same day, a few hours later. So understanding the nature of opposition and also as an organ procurement organization, you know, what are we looking at as far as suitability? Um, you know, is this patient going to die within the time frame? Right. We don't want to push a family appropriately uh, because they oppose FPA status. We move forward donation and then that patient does not die within the DCD time frame. Uh, that's, you know, akin to a second loss to family. So we want to make sure that there is suitability and as best we can, uh, that that patient is going to die within the time frame. We also want to, um, oftentimes families are, I've realized in my, in my own experience that families really don't understand what's going on. Sometimes they still feel that their loved one is in a coma, right? And so bringing, working with the hospital partners to bring them into that conversation once donation has been broached so that they can really paint a clinical picture of where this patient is and the fact that this is non-survivable. And then I think there's the component of being able to move these cases expeditiously, right? Being able to have a, a response team that can come in if we're able to get to the family to a place of acceptance and be able to move that case so that two things can happen, both the withdrawal of support, which the family wants. Secondly, that we're able to honor that decision that that patient made. And I think it's incumbent on our hospital development uh, team members within OPOs to really work collaboratively with our hospital partners to make sure that they're aware of all of those steps uh, to help put us in, in the best place possible. And Xandra, can I just put a period? I know we get to talking and, and there's never enough time. So I'm going to do a two minute recap because what I'm going to close with is really important and would capture everything that I started with and that Mike and, and, and Stephen amplified. You know, donation, complex but infrequent. And so we have to remember as HOPOs, we do donation every day. Our hospital partners don't. And so our hospital partners to have the humility, just because you've seen this last month, doesn't mean that your skills and your muscle memory is as sharp. So being disciplined about taking a moment to huddle, communicate, talk about the plan, captures everything that, uh, or most of the things that Mike and, and Steven talked about in terms of being able to move expeditiously, expeditiously because we need an OR in order to honor his family's wishes or other tests or our plan to communicate with the family uh, using the right words, being prepared to have consults from within the hospital, whether it's ethics or legal for FPA opposition. All those things can take place in a more deliberate manner if we plan for them instead of every time having to go back to the family and say, okay, go wait in the waiting room while we go figure this out. And, and that takes away from your trust. So on the, on the moment we hit the ground, we should be collaborating with our hospitals, identifying what our potential barriers to donation would be, and then moving forward, especially in FPA, because you know what the outcome should be. It's an authorized don't. It's a donor. You already have authorization. It's just how effective are you going to be in mitigating the known challenges on the way to it? Thank you. One more thing. I'm going to put a comma before we put the period. <laughs> there are a large handful of OPOs that I know of that have escalation plans for this very type of event. Absolutely. It's opposition to registry status regarding DCD candidates. So there is a very significant internal and escalation plan that happens when these events are triggered. So just so you're aware of that for all my hospital brothers and sisters out there. Yeah. I have a real quick follow-up question. Do you map out this entire plan during that pre-huddle 
the, the huddle when you arrive? Do you kind of lay out the entire thing so that the OPO knows what's going on and the hospital? Is that where all of this planning happens? The best huddles are huddles where you never assume that the other person knows anything or that you don't assume that you know anything, right? So what's hi, Steven, I'm from the, I'm in Infinite Legacy and, and we like to talk about bed six, the patient, you know, certainly meets the criteria to be an organ donor. We like to move forward. Tell us what your plans are for, you know, the family. What have they told you? You're, you're starting very at the very beginning and not assuming, you know, anything. And do y'all have, a, do y'all use a checklist or anything to make sure your staff is covering everything as a part of that huddle conversation? We have huddle checklists. Uh, yeah, I can see. Okay. Awesome. That That's we have an initial huddle. We have a MD huddle, physician huddle and a pre and post approach. Yep. That's awesome. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the ETCLC podcast series. We encourage you to steal shamelessly, as we say, any recommendations and best practices shared by the presenters and their organizations. We encourage you to listen to our other podcasts that help support and improve your transplant work. Also visit our LinkedIn page, ETCLC. Follow us on X, formerly Twitter, at ETCLC1, and check out our YouTube channel for more resources available at esrd etclc